of fruit, and there's nothing fancy about it. It's just a bowl of fruit. Nothing fancy. It's a it's it's pretty bowl of fruit. Looks nice. You know, there's something about a bowl of fruit that you may not know. Do, do you realize that the original intent of fruit in a bowl is really one thing? I mean, listen, I don't know if you know the truth. I don't know if you realize what a bowl of fruit is really all about. But there was an, an original intent about putting fruit in a bowl. Can, can I tell you what that is? Again, you may not know this. Write this down. The original intent of fruit in a bowl was to eat it. Come on. It was just to eat it. That was it. It was, you, know, you know, the thing is, it, it, sometimes we as Christians forget original intent of things. You know, we're in the middle of a series about family, and I can tell you that oftentimes our family is a lot like a bowl of fruit. Bless you. A family is a lot like a bowl of fruit, and there's something about this bowl of fruitness that, that's really special. Like, you know, oftentimes our fam- you realize that your family is literally supposed to be this lush fruit that the world is able to partake and be part of. They're supposed to see the fruit of your life and begin to say, I want some of that in me, and begin to say, listen, how do I partake of that love that was in your life? You remember the fruit of the Spirit, right? We, we often say that the Bible mentions the fruit of the Spirit as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what we typically say. But when we go back to the original language and we see the word fruit there, it's actually, it's actually in a context that means not many fruits, but one fruit. It's in the singular verb form, literally, or not noun form. It literally says this, that the fruit of the Spirit, singular, manifests itself lovingly, joyfully, patiently, caringly, faithfully, all the things, right, that, that, that we describe as the fruit of the Spirit. And crazy enough, this bowl of fruit symbolizes what I think the family is supposed to be like. That the, the, the family is supposed to be filled with this, this plethora of fruit. Here's what we don't say. This is a bowl of fruits with an S. We say it's a bowl of fruit, singular, but there's a bunch of fruits in there. That's supposed to be the family. God's intention for family was there would be a bunch of us collectively coming together, living our lives in a manner that people would say, wow, I want some of that. The problem with the family in America today is that though the fruit looks luscious and nice and, and, and one, uh, maybe, maybe even to the point that you'd want to get a hold of that thing and say, I want some of that. The problem with the American family today is that we're probably more like this bowl of plastic fruit than we would like to believe. We look the part on the outside, but on the inside, we're hollow and missing all the nutrients. See, the problem with family in America today is that we, we want to look right, we want to we want to act right, we want to appear right, we even want to be appealing to those around us. And the problem is, just beneath the surface is is an empty, lacking, hollow existence that we want to put together and, and, and orchestrate right so it looks appealing for everyone to come and say, I want some of that. And our life as a family becomes this, this, this walking, living, breathing, um, kind of looking like it's supposed to, but not really functioning the way it was intended kind of thing. I want to talk to you about family. In the middle of this six-week series called Family, we've, we, we've defined the, the, the name of this series as Inside the Wire. And I'm using that, frame, that phrase a little loosely to those of you who are military personnel to understand that the wire is really what is used to surround base camp in the middle of a battle. The wire is this, is this razor wire that goes all around the camp to keep the, the bad guys out and the good guys safe. Now, to be fair with you, 
in battle, there really is no safe place. There's no place that's um, untouchable by the enemy. And, and though there can be a loose correlation between the family and inside the wire, I want you to know that, that, that inside the wire is no, no fun, no joking place. But there's an intent inside the wire. And the intent inside the wire is that you would come there as a soldier to, to, to get rest, to get refilled fuel, to, to get retooled perhaps, maybe even a reload and, and, and have an opportunity to communicate with your fellow soldier and have an opportunity to grow and, and perhaps find some safety in the middle of the battle. Yet all too often in our families using that same word picture, we want to believe it's true that inside this wire called family, the bad guys stay out and our real battle is outside the wire. Yet oftentimes we find that battles rage inside the wire too. And though the enemy is to be kept out, oftentimes the enemy is within. So I don't want to draw this correlation as if it's an absolute that the enemy's out, everything's in is great. Because if you're here, you are in family. And inside of family, can I tell you what's inside of family? Hurt, pain, life. I have hope for you, man. I'm telling you, you're here today. And I believe God brought you here today because there's something he wants you to see in this thing called family. There's something I believe the Bible tells us about family that is supposed to have an intent. It's supposed to have an absolute purpose I think the problem, just like this bowl of fruit is, is that though it looks like it has a purpose uh, to, to fulfill you and satisfy you and feed you, its intent is just to be looked at. This plastic bowl of fake fruit is just to be looked at. And my fear is, is that that's what we've become as families in America, is just things for people to look at. I want to submit to you today that there's a real live intent for family that God intended. There really is a plan for family that God set out for us to see. That there really is a a purpose behind this thing called family that God intended you to walk in. And though some of you today here might feel disqualified because of divorce and remarriage and brokenness and hurt and pain, can I tell you that you're part of family and God loves you and he brought you here on purpose wherever you are in that journey. Inside the wire. Jesus, help us to see what you have to say. You're good, and we need you a bunch. In Jesus' name, amen. What was God's original plan for family? I think there are two things God really wants us to see inside this thing called family. Two things that I think were really paramount that his intended plan was for us to see. First of all is this. I think family was supposed to be the vehicle that produces our identity. I think God's intent for family was is that, that our identity would be discovered. That was the purpose for family, that, that we would find and discover our true identity. Now, now, now remind you, on purpose or by default, our identities were and have been and are being discovered in the context of family. Like it or not, family is the vehicle through which we begin to understand who we are, where we fit, how we function. And maybe your family, like my family of origin where I came from, you find yourself in a state of trying to redefine and figure out, and, and, and that was a mess, and this is, doesn't make any sense. And so you want to come out with its, its proper context, but you're left with memories and thoughts of what it wasn't and shouldn't have been. So you come to a sermon like this today, and I'm telling you, I'm really glad you're here. Let me help you understand the true context of what God intended for family to be. And then maybe God can bring some healing and restoration into some of those areas of your life. Family. And identity. Get get this. A thousand people were polled. 62% of them said that the most central factor in the formation of their identity was simply family. 
Over half of them polled agreed that that 60% of them, 62% of them said that the formation of their identity came in the context of family. Right or wrong, good or bad, intended or unintended, their identity stemmed from that thing called family. Second thing I think comes from family is that God wants to reveal not only our identity, but he wants to reveal himself. You realize that God's intended plan for family was for us to see him. It's for us to really recognize who he is. I came from a family that, that, that didn't have a, a really great dad role, in my opinion. I didn't really see, I, 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 my, my, I had a mom who was married a few times, and so I had a couple of different fathers in my world. And, and, and with that, I was kind of confused. I didn't really understand what the role of a dad was. And, and so when, when I would come to church, and there would be some well-intended person standing in front, and, and who would say this with all the genuine truth that it is, Everyone, let's come and, and, and curl up on the lap of the Father and enjoy the embrace of Father God and just nuzzle into his whatever. And I'll level with you. I didn't get it. I didn't like it. It kind of made me mad. Because there's a part of me that was like, I, I know that biblically there's some truth to that, but I'm, I, don't, I don't like it because I don't really like my dad's scenario that I grew up with. It wasn't all that fun. I didn't want to curl up on that lap because it didn't seem safe. So my, my, my context of trying to figure out how to make this thing God's good, my situation was weird, but I mean, all of that, right? It just all becomes this weird, maybe I'm the only one. It just kind of became this weird definition of, of terms and phrases and understandings throughout the course of my journey as a Christian. Hmm. God wants to reveal himself in the context of family. God's intention was for us to see who he is, for us to see that he is the loving, caring, master, most powerful ever being. He wanted us to see who he was. And, and the Bible also, I believe, wants us to, to, to or I believe the Bible says that God wants to reveal himself not only to us, but he wants to reveal the, to us to the world, that he wants the world to see who he is through the context of family. That his intention was for us to be living bowls of fruit that people would partake of and say, oh, if God is love and that's what love looks like, therefore God must be good. Because I see the Jones family and they are filled with love. That's the intended plan. Often we fall far short of that. And the Jones family doesn't really exist. Unless your name's Jones. Sorry. Smith. I want to be so bold as to tell you this. I believe on purpose or by default that the family, listen to this, I believe the family is the single most powerful institution on the planet. Not the church, not the government, not the war, not, not, or not the, the warriors, not, not the armies, not the money. I think the single most powerful institution on planet Earth is the family. I, I think it is. I, I think it's in the context of this environment that God set us in, he said us in the saying, he said, listen, the most powerful institution, in fact, I'd even be so bold as to tell you this, in the context of family, I believe the most influential person in that institution called family, the most influential person is the mama. And you know who I think the most powerful is? The daddy. Why? Because I'm a dad and I'm somehow, you know, some sort of whatever against women. No, man, not a, not a chance. I'm just telling you, I how do I know that? If I were to sit you down and ask you a relationship to your dad, most of you would give me a good, good opinion. Most of you, if I said, tell me about your dad, how do I know? That's the power of a dad. There's something about the influence of a dad. Like it or not, on purpose or by default, God made us this way. 
You don't have to agree with me. You, you, you know what? You can tell me, Lance, you're crazy, you're wrong, you're an absolute nut job, the most powerful institution's not the family, it's the stock market, it's the government, whatever. You can have that opinion all you want to. But I can tell you one entity who does agree with me, the enemy, the devil. The devil agrees with me. He agrees that the family's the most powerful institution on the planet, I promise you. He's been trying to destroy, contort, redefine, mess with, straighten, strain, whatever. He's been trying to do it for, well, since Cain and Abel were born to Adam and Eve. He's been trying to twist and contort and redefine the family since then. He hates the family. There's something about family that threatens him. There's something about family that threatens, and, and he's been trying to redefine it, to contort it, to twist it. It doesn't take long to turn on your TV and see that. It doesn't take long to see the, the, the view of what the enemy wants to propose as what the family's supposed to look like on TV. And I can tell you that that's not what family's supposed to look like most of the time. I think it's the most powerful institution on the planet. It would behoove us as human beings, as Christians, to maybe go back to the beginning and find out what God's original purpose was. And maybe as the result of that, we could grow into some understanding and figure out why things are so crazy and maybe how we could get them straightened out. Amen? Amen. If you have your Bibles, open it up to Ephesians chapter 5. Hmm. I think, I think the, 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 the purpose of family is this. The purpose of family is really the formation of you as a person. The formation of you. Is, you're born as a human, and God, the whole time since you were born, there's been this process of you becoming the person you're supposed to be. And I think there are two main things that show up in this development of your personhood. Uh, again, not to be so psychobabbly, but I would tell you, there's something about the development of your personhood that shows up in the context of you being a human. First of all, I think that family is supposed to be a vehicle that's to develop within you wisdom. I, I don't even know if you realize that, but wisdom is supposed to be discovered and found in the context of family. Uh, you know that you can't, Google can come up with a search engine that can discover almost any kind of information. You can Google almost anything and get information about it. Google's an amazing engine for finding stuff of information. But you know Google hasn't figured out how to? They haven't figured out how to come up with a search engine for wisdom. That's to be discovered in the context of family. You might say, okay, how is that supposed to work out? Let me, let me give you a perfect example of how wisdom is supposed to show up in the context of family. So I, when I was a kid, my dad let me drive the family truck. It was a 64 Chevy. It, it was an old, heavy truck, right? Truck probably weighed a million pounds. And my only requirement as I drive in the truck was my dad said, you have to take the garbage to the dump, right? So I'll take the garbage to the dump. I was supposed to take it every week. But because I was a lazy kid, I took it once a month, Right? My girlfriend's dad didn't like it. Nevertheless, I had to drive around with a heavy load of garbage. Well, it was on one of those dates, right? I'm a high school senior. I'm smarter than everybody on the planet. And I tell my, and I, and I tell my friend who's in the truck with me, hey, Rich, watch this. I'm going to burn them off. Okay, okay, first of all, 64 Chevy, got to tell you something, right? Old slant six, didn't have any power, loaded garbage, not burning those things off. Trust me. So I, I'm at a stop sign. I'm out in the middle of Enumclaw. There's no one around. Revved it up. Wah! And I'm going to pop the clutch, right? Because I'm going to burn them off. Go out there. Wah! Pop the clutch. And then bam, 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 bam. And, and what happens is I tear the teeth out of first gear, right? So, so now you put it in first gear, and it just goes knock, 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 knock. Put it in second gear. It starts to drive. Third gear starts to drive. So I drove it around for six months in second and third gear. 
burned up my clutch. But nevertheless, I, I mean, so I'm just doing damage upon damage until the fall came when it was no longer hot. And my dad says to me, hey, Lance, um, let's go get some firewood for the family. I say, okay, I make a beeline for the truck because I'm going to drive, right? Because there's no way I want my dad to drive because he's going to find out fast. I'll fake it in second and third gear, right? That was my plan. So I go running out there, right? And so we get in the truck, and Dad goes, scoot over, big boy. And so now I'm thinking, okay, now I'm not in the driver's seat. I'm going to snug the passenger's door as fast as I can. So I'm over there curled up against the door trying to hide. Dad gets in the truck, puts it in first gear. Next thing you know, it's like, knock, 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 knock. And he, and he stops, and he goes, well, what the heck? And I said, um, Mom must have taken the truck and done that last night. Sold her out, man. I was like, I think mom did it. He goes, huh. Well, if mom did it, you're fixing it. And so I was like, Whew. right? So I got away with it, I thought. So, so I go there. I don't know how to take a transmission out. He just tells me there's four bolts. He goes, get under there. So we, we go to the junkyard, pick up a transmission. I have to take the other one back to give it back to the junkyard as a core. Anyway, I get there. So I'm underneath there, take off the three bolts. I got one left. And, and I'm like, okay, is this the other one? I can see. I'm laying under the truck on my back, and I can look to my left, and I see a pair of black shoes with legs attached to them. That's all I see is black shoes and legs. And so I'm like <sighs> trying to hold it, right? Next thing I know, the, the, the other bolt falls out. Wham! Falls on my chest. And I'm like, ah! So I roll it off me, and all I see is my dad lean over, and he goes, never lie to me again. <laughs> Wisdom. <laughs> Wisdom was garnered in the context of family. Now, don't do that to your kids. Let the record show. Don't let a transmission fall on your kid's chest. But I can tell you, something was learned that day. You see, family's supposed to be this vehicle where wisdom is supposed to be learned. Family, family's, you know what else is supposed to be a vehicle a family's supposed to learn? They're supposed to learn courage. You're supposed to learn courage, the ability to walk out what you know to be true. It's supposed to be that place that you practice what you know. And walk it out. Wisdom and courage are supposed to be discovered and found in the context of family. But you see, because we don't know that, we don't know that that's the vehicle with which it's supposed to be discovered. What happens is wisdom and courage are truly discovered in family, but oftentimes they're distorted and, and, they're, and they're twisted. And courage becomes this um, measuring up with each other and trying to outdo one another because there's this competition for getting attention. And, 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 and wisdom becomes this, this knowledge for one and not telling another. And never, it becomes an unsafe place where wisdom and courage, there's another word for courage we don't use anymore that I think really applies here. It's called virtue. Virtue is supposed to be discovered in the context of family. And see, the problem is, is that because a lot of us were raised up in broken homes, we didn't, we didn't really understand the real context of family. Uh, you might even say to yourself here today, well, well Lance, I don't, I'm not in a family. I don't, I don't have a family. Uh, can I just tell you this, just, just for the record? This is, this is not even part of the sermon. This is just for free. Can I just tell you this? If you ever, please, promise me in Jesus' name that you will never walk up to a couple that, has, that doesn't have children and say this phrase. So when are you going to start your family? Can I just tell you that, one, it is so biblically incorrect because the day that they slipped rings on each other's fingers is the day they became a family. Children just make the family last a little longer. It doesn't make them a family. It just extends that family. It doesn't make them a family. Making a family is when they agreed to get married in a covenant of marriage. That makes them a family. Come on. 
And by the way, if you're here and you're single and you're like, look, I guess I'm not a family then because first of all, you came from one, somehow, some way, somewhere. And secondly, you're here. This is your church family. And you know in the context of your church family, you know what we are? We're what the Bible calls your oikos. Maybe you know it better this way. We're the Ohana. We're your family. We're, we're the family. It's supposed, you know what's supposed to happen in family? Discover your identity. Find out who God is. Where? Right here in your church family. You know what's supposed to happen in family? You get wisdom and courage. See, it's all supposed to happen. So if you don't think it fits or this message is for you, you're wrong. It is for you. Every one of us is this family. Every one of us are this bowl of fruit that's supposed to be eaten and not left on the counter just sitting there to rot. Hmm. God wants us to learn to walk in wisdom. So, so if this thing called family we have isn't working right, it's broken, how do we, how do we fix this thing called family? How, how do we fix this broken, un, misunderstood, twisted, undefined role called family? How, how do we fix it? I'm glad you asked. Here's how we fix family. I remember when Polly and I, we, were, um, we, we went to this... Uh, we were early on. Our kids were young. I think we only had two kids at the time. We might have had three. But, but I remember we, we went to this family. It was called uh, Growing Kids God's Way thing. Maybe any part of you part of that? So we went to that thing. 16 weeks long, right? First of all, super long. You know, and I was like, because here's why. Because I was a very impatient young dad. And, and I only wanted information for, I only wanted information on two aspects. What, this is my impatient dadness. This is the young Lance. I, went to, I agreed to go to this growing kids God's way thing because I wanted to find out two things. First of all, that the instructor would tell my wife how wrong she was and how right I was. <laughs> that, that, that the instructor would say, you know what? Listen to your husband. He's really smart. Um, I'm, I'm being perfectly honest with you. The second thing, I just needed to know if it was biblical to spank or not. I didn't know. And I was like, somebody tell me, right? And so the first five weeks had nothing to do with any one of those things. And I was like, would you just get to it? You know what I discovered in the context of that first few weeks? First of all, I discovered that the brokenness of my family had nothing to do with my spouse. The brokenness of my family had everything to do with the broken me. The brokenness of your family has nothing to do with the broken them. They've got their own thing. See, because you bring you into your family. <laughs> you can't fix him. Trust me, you can't fix her. And you cannot fix them. The only one you can fix is you. See, if you're going to fix your family, it's got to start with you. If you're going to come back to try to fix your family and, and the whole time you want to put a big elbow in the ribs of somebody and say, listen up, buddy, I can tell you this, it's not going to work because if you want to fix your family, you got to fix a broken you. You have to make an agreement with yourself to say, God, I, I, I know that I'm right. I know that I'm right, and then she's wrong or he's wrong. And you want to just land on that and, and hold on to it. And all you do is cause this massive divide between the two of you. And I promise, if you live that way, which most of us do, you find yourself massively at odds and never really moving forward. In fact, what happens is you go backwards, and the fruit in your bowl just begins to rot. How do you fix a broken family? You start by fixing a broken you. Hmm. Ephesians chapter 5. You know, it's funny, but before I read this, it, oftentimes broken family, 
is like going to, uh, I remember when I was first uh, diagnosed with nearsightedness, I wear contacts. Before I, I didn't, I didn't know I was nearsighted. All I knew was that I started getting headaches and I found myself squinting a lot. And so I was squinting a lot and all that stuff. And, and it dawned on me that a lot of us, uh, you might even recognize, some of you are in over 50 or maybe you're in your late 40s and you're beginning to have to use reading glasses, but you're going to fight it and just make the font bigger on your phone, right? And so then you're like, your arms aren't long enough, right? And, and, and can I just tell you this? Give in. Get some glasses, brother, right? Join the club. All I can tell you is this, is that sometimes so many of us live life squinty, try, trying to just make it through life, thinking, I'll just, I'll just make my way through. And you find yourself just with this crazy headache you can't solve. Here's the solution. Get some glasses for the love of God and remove the headache. Get some help for your family. Fix a you. In other words, make the decision to say, I got to fix me. I can't fix him because that's not ever worked before. We have to fix us. Listen to this. Your family will never fully be what God intends it to be until you become fully what God intends you to be. Your family will never be what God intends it to be until you become what God intends you to be. Ephesians chapter 5. This is what it says. Verse 1 and 2. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. For he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice, a pleasing aroma to God. Read it again. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you're his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. For he loved us, and he offered himself as a sacrifice, a pleasing aroma to God. Number one, how do you heal a broken you? Number one, act like God. Wait, what? Act like God. That's how you start with fixing your broken you. Act like God. It's interesting. The word imitate actually comes from the Greek word in the original language, mimiatas. Or to, we would say it this way, mimic. So we get the word mimic, mimiatas. Literally says this. If we're going to uh, fix a broken you, act like God. Wait, what? You know God, right? He's love. And we know that from the Bible, we said it earlier, that God is love. And what is love? Well, love manifests itself a lot of ways. Love manifests itself in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. If you want to really begin to act like God, do that. Be nice, be faithful, be kind, be gentle, be patient. But I don't feel like it. I don't feel like being patient. I don't even feel like being nice because he's super wrong. Maybe so. But let me tell you this. If you win and he loses, you lose. If you win and she loses, you lose. There's no way of winning about that because you're one flesh and God's intention for you is that you would grow together as one family. You're doing this together. Mimiatos, literally, what? So fake it till you make it? Yeah, there's something about that that has some aspect of truth. You know why? It's because uh, our lives, like I've mentioned to you before, are, are basically made up of three parts, mind, will, and emotions. Most of us, it's like a train. Like if we had a train that was the mind, the will, and the emotions. It's like this. Like the mind is like the, uh, the, the decider of where we're going to go. The, the, the second car is like the coal. It's like the, 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 the power that's going to pull this off. And, and the, last, the, the last car, the caboose, is like the party. It just happens. The mind, the will, and emotions. Can I tell you what direction the train is supposed to travel? That way. 
mind, make a decision, will, get the action and the power to walk it out, emotions, well, those things just come. You know how most of us drive the train? That way. The emotions, how I feel about that. If I should do that because I want to and I don't want to, yes, I should, but I can't, but I don't want to, but I don't feel like it. Emotions, will. I don't have the will to follow my emotions because the train's going the wrong way. In your mind, I don't know, it just shows up. When you, you know what happens when you drive the train in the wrong direction? It just falls off the tracks. See, when we go the right way and our mind, our will, and our emotions are in the right direction, then we begin to stay on the tracks and begin to walk out. That's what it means to mimic God. You just do right things. You choose to do right things. You discipline yourself to do right things. You know what happens? The party always shows up. The party will always show up. Problem is, is we keep trying to be led by the party instead of being led by our mind, our soul, the, the, the spirit, whatever you want to call the engine, that part of you that says, I will do the right thing. But by the way, let me just set you at ease. How long are you supposed to mimic God? Just because it seems so overwhelming and daunting to think that you have to mimic God for the rest of your life. It's super hard. Because like, gosh, how do I mimic God? That's a long time. How do, let me just set you at ease. Here's the deal. You don't have to mimic God for the rest of your life. I'll just let you ease. Here's all you have to do. You only have to mimic God for, well, the rest of today. That's it. Just mimic God for the rest of today. Tomorrow, enough worries of its own. Just today. So, gosh, it's about noon right now. Go to bed at nine. You got about, what, nine hours to mimic God? Maybe 10? I don't know. What you got? What, I'm just saying, you just got a few hours to pull this off. We can do anything for a few hours. That's my point. You know what? You know, somebody said to me one time, Lance, you're playing mind games. And I just said, no, nah, I just do what the devil does. The devil plays mind games on me. I'm going to play him back on him. Because he seems to get winning. So I might as well use his tactic in reverse. And I have to try to convince myself, I don't have to do this forever. I only have to do it for a few more hours. I'll believe that. And I begin to mimic God by, by walking in kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, and doing myself a favor to try to say, how do I journey this course so that I don't just become this emotional, crazy, frothy mess? Mimic God. Number two. Number two, how, how in the world are we supposed to walk this thing in fixing a broken us? Act like God. Number two, live wisely. Ephesians 5.15 says, Be careful how you live, not as fools, but as those who are wise. What's a, what does what foolish living look like? Glad you asked. Foolish living is simply this. Like, is, is, is living like an animal. Foolish living is basically living like an animal. You know animals live, right? Animals just live by the smell of their nose and the taste of their mouth. Animals just say to themselves, I want, I do, I go, I'm, I'm there. There's no conscious in an animal that says, you know what, maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe after they get spanked or something, I don't know how that works with a dog or whatever, but my point is there's this innate desire to just get, take, do their thing. Oftentimes, that's what it means to live foolishly, is to have no conscience of what's right or wrong. It's just to do. And that's what foolish people do. Listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs about foolishness. It says, a foolish man is quick-tempered. It says, the foolish person gives full vent to his anger. Proverbs 15, 5. The foolish person despises the parent's discipline. Remember uh, Proverbs 15, 4, 15, 14. A wise person's hungry for truth, but a foolish person feeds on trash. Let that sink in for a second. Ecclesiastes 4, 7 says this, that a fool thinks only about having a good time now. Proverbs 14, 6 says, the fool plunges ahead with great confidence. Great confidence. I think too often we live our lives so foolish instead of wise. 
we find ourselves in this constant trap. What does the Bible say about wisdom? Here's what a wise person looks like. Proverbs 13, 20, the wise person is one who walks with wise people. Proverbs 12, 15 says, the fool thinks they need no advice, but the wise person listens to others. Proverbs 12, 18 says, but the words of the wise bring healing. Proverbs 13, 1, a wise child accepts a parent's discipline. And Proverbs 14, 8 said, the wise look ahead to see what's coming. How do you heal a broken you? Act like God, live wisely. And number three, measure twice and cut once. Measure twice and cut once. I say you heal a broken you. Measure twice and cut once. Too many of us just whip out our machete and start hacking on things. Measure twice and cut once. Some of the smartest people I know, some of the wisest people I know, keep that as their life mantra. Measure twice, cut once. Know what's going on before you start hacking away at something. Ephesians 5.17 says, don't act thoughtlessly, but try to understand what the Lord wants you to do. That, that word try there is a funny word because it's really what God wants us to do is to just give it a try. Try to understand before you start hacking away at something, before you start lobbing accusations, before you start going and trying to tell how, person is, how wrong that person is, but try to understand. I can tell you this. I would be remiss if I didn't give you some measure of hope beyond this. And if I left you here today and said, there, go fix a broken you and just left it at that. I'll just tell you this today, that it's hard. It's super hard. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to lie to you and tell you that somehow this, this learning how to mimic God and how to live wise and how to measure twice and cut once is something we can just pull off today, overnight. But you can try. You can say, God, I'm just going to try. Try to walk this thing out the best I can for the rest of today. I would also be remiss if I didn't give you some resource beyond this. Read your Bible, be around wise people for sure. But can I also tell you this? Get some godly counsel. Get some godly counsel of people who are actually godly counselors. And if you don't have a godly counselor for your marriage, then you need to get one. I, I talk to people all the time and, they, and I hear couples say this. There's always a phrase between one of the two of them that says this. Oh, our marriage is at that point where we need counseling now? Can I tell you the day you slipped rings on each other's fingers was the day you needed counseling? Come on. I often tell people this. Some people want to come see me for pre-marriage counseling, and I tell them, first of all, I'm a horrible marriage counselor. Don't come see me. And, I say, and, I, and the reason, <laughs> reason why is because I've been through marriage counseling. My wife and I spent 17 months in every week to marriage counseling in 2010 and 12, 10 and 11. And, and I'll tell you this. You, you know what it is? Here's what it showed me. First of all, I'm not a counselor. If you come see me, I'll stick an elbow in your forehead and tell you to stop it. A counselor will actually help you discover the reasons why things are there. So don't come see me, trust me. I'm, you call our office, I'll get you to the right people who are counselors because there's some people who are money. They're amazing. They get down to the bottom of who you are. Come on. I know who I am, right? I'm never gonna do a ballet. I'm never gonna jump out of a plane on purpose. I'm not gonna counsel you, right? I, I might give you some advice. You might not like it. But if you go see a counselor, you'll at least like them, right? So that's the hope. You need counsel. Call and talk to somebody. Why? Because you're human. You're a sinful mess like the rest of us. We just need somebody who's smarter than we are. We need to stop trying to live our life like this fake bowl of fruit, trying to make everyone think that everything is okay. Because look, can I just tell you, everything's not okay. 
We're living in a weird world that's trying to make up stuff and trying to pretend that it is, that it is. It's, it, family's a crazy mess, and it's super hard. We need to stop trying to make sure everything looks like it's okay. Better there be a bruise or two on a banana and begin to say, look, you know what? It's just who we are. Why some people have asked me, Pastor Lance, how come you can stand up there and tell people you want their marriage counseling? Isn't that just a sign of weakness? Here's what I would say. Call it what you want. It's my marriage, not yours. Because I don't really care what you think about the fact that I got help for my marriage and why I continue to seek help for my marriage. Because I've been married for 27 years and I got, you know what I realized? I got a lot to learn. Amen. Maybe you... <laughs> My wife, <laughs> rule number one, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> preach, there you go, I got a lot to learn, <laughs> amen. <laughs> we had the men's conference the other day, it was hilarious, yeah, I won't tell you, there, was, yeah. there were some things that stay at marriage con- men's conferences, amen, <laughs> amen, all of you were like, dude, you say something, <laughs> all right, Jesus, thank you for families, thank you for giving us this vehicle that we can learn to discover our identity. We can learn to find out who you are, God. We can figure out how to walk in wisdom and, and discover courage. Lord, I pray that this thing called family would be something that we would uh, maybe not run from because of the pain of our past, but God, that we would embrace because of the promise of our future. I pray that you help men and women, boys and girls, God, who are here today saying, I just wanna learn how to walk this thing out right. God, help us to stop trying to pretend to be the bowl of fruit that we're not and to begin to walk out the fruit that we are and will one day be. We need you a bunch, God, in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet?